Okay, the reading for today is Judges chapter 6, verses 36 through 40. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung, an, he wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with, with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece. On all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, thanks, Tang. Tang's dressed sharply this morning. Um, makes up for my shirt and the stain, so we're all good, right? Community. So, so guys, as we um, as we get into the into this um, this sermon, this is the the third week in Judges. We've been spending time. We love to go through books of the Bible as a church. Not to say we're against, you know, topical or anything like that, but we've just found that consistent transformation through coming under the authoritative um, teaching of God's word um, it sh- shapes us as a people. And so we're in our third week in Judges. And I just want to say, I've been saying this last week, I want to encourage you. Um, uh, we have some different things where you can look at if you want to dive into it more on your own. Um, we're covering massive chunks each time because we think uh, that's the way God really presented it to us is in these kind of major themes of Judges. So although we're only, cover, only covering 40 verses um, today, they're actually next week we're going to cover like two and a half chapters. So all that to say, we can't cover every little detail of everything. We're covering the big sweeping story each time of what God is communicating. And so that's a challenge and an encouragement to you to read through Judges on your own each week. Read through it. Study it. Come up with questions. If you have kids, um, use your own discretion, but read it to and with your kids. Um, That said, we're getting into Gideon this morning. And um, just kind of spoiler alert, um, Gideon and really all the characters that we see the, the main theme and takeaway is not like, be more like Gideon. In fact, as we'll see today, um, and more and more as we go, like, that's not a good idea. Now, that said, somebody said at the very beginning, they're like, but I wanted to name my kid Gideon. I always thought that would be a good name for a kid. Well, if you want to name your kid like something that's, you know, okay, I, I, wanna, I want their character to be exactly like this particular person, then good luck finding a name to name your kid. Like, my name's David, uh, who was a murderer and an adulterer. So that's cool. Um, You know, so, but he was somebody in whom and through whom God worked. So so if you figure out how to name kids, um, it let them be a reminder of God's grace, um, no matter what they, who they line up with in Scripture. Because today... We'll see the continued cycle. Let me um, put this up here on the, on the screen. There's a, a cycle that goes throughout, constantly throughout Judges, and it's a reminder that basically um, this is a consistent cycle that we find ourselves in apart from God's intervention. Apart from God breaking in and stopping the cycle, the cycle that we will find ourselves in is this, sin, 
We sin because, of, um, because we are sinners by nature and by choice. We will choose not God. We'll choose to go our, on our own. And so sin breaks in, and we see this cycle is God's people sin. They forget, they turn away from God, they do what's right in their own eyes, it says. And so they go and they live a life of sin. And then eventually oppression comes and they find themselves, but basically the, the circumstance, basically the bed that they have made, they have to sleep in. And so they're oppressed. And they eventually then, they call out to God, supplication, God help me, help us in this moment. And God consistently, faithfully comes in and rescues and saves his people. And then the result is a time of rest. And they find themselves in a time of rest. And yet the cycle continues, and it's not a playground. It's not a merry-go-round. Remember what it's like? It's more like a toilet. It gets worse and worse and worse, and it's flushing down, and the cycle continues. And again, outside of God's intervention, this is the cycle that we find ourselves in. And, and increasingly, the time of oppression gets uglier and uglier, and the deliverer that God sends is you're, you scratch your head more and more, and you're like, him? <laughs> Her? Like, that's, that's who you sent to re- rescue God's people? And, then, and so that's where we'll see today. And um, just to kind of give you guys some, uh, some handlebars on where we're headed this morning, um, here's, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that though we continually sin and turn away from God, we see that God is true and trustworthy. And then we'll see as we walk through that, 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 that if left to ourselves, what we do, not just God's people, but even the deliverer, the human deliverer, Gideon, who represents the people, we see forgetting God underestimating God, replacing God, and testing God. And so we'll see what life looks like when we forget that God is true and trustworthy. And so with that, um, let me pray for us. And and, um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, Judges chapter 6 right now. And um, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and hold your hand up high, and somebody will get you one. También si necesitas la Biblia en español, solamente levanta su mano y diga español. I want to make sure everybody can have a Bible that they can read and understand. And um, if you don't own a Bible too, keep this one, okay? It's our gift to you. Put your name in it, underline stuff, and uh, we'll walk through that together. So let's go ahead and pray and ask God um, to lead us through this time. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, Lord, we acknowledge and recognize that uh, we need you. Uh, Lord, I don't know where everybody's coming from this morning. Some need to be encouraged. Some need to be convicted. Lord, likely we all need probably some of both. And um, I I pray that I will handle your word appropriately. Um, I pray that we will hear what it means to follow and trust you. And Lord, not just look for anecdotes, not just look for copy and paste passages, but look for what it looks like to truly and wholly come under you and, and, and follow you and trust you. So Lord, with that, we, uh, we, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, uh, so guys, um, just a heads up here, too. Um, if you know me or you don't, I just want to let you know, like, as I even said, I want to rightly handle God's word this morning. And as I've looked through this, the likelihood is that it's going to be a slightly more harsh and more intense, that um, we're going to come with kind of more of a, more of a punch in the face. And um, I just want to remind you that I love you, that God loves you, that his word is given to us, as I said, not just to give us a warm, fuzzy feeling, but to, to shape us and to call us 
to repentance. Repentance means to turn away from sin, away from depending on ourselves and, and, and turn toward him and dependence on him. And so that's the tone that this scripture has. And so rightly, that's going to be the tone of our time here together. Okay, so get your seatbelt on uh, and here we go. I'm picking up in Judges 6 verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. If you're sick of that, we're going to keep hearing it. It's, it's consistent. Again, the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord um, gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. So again, what happened here is basically they had a a season of about 40 years of rest, okay? So we ended last week with a song, right? I sang a song. If you weren't here, you missed out. No, I didn't sing it, but we walked through the song of Deborah and Barak, and um, there was a song of remembering God is the hero and God delivers his people and this is what life looks like under God's rule and reign and it's good. And so for 40 years, the people lived in that. But eventually, as they do time and time and time again, as we do, they forgot. They forgot God. And so they find themselves in a time of now sinning and then God sends an oppressor that basically oppresses the people. And as you see, they're hiding out, they're, 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 they're um, you know, turning away from God, they're, 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 um, they're, they're, they're living life in the consequences and the results of sin. The result of not God. The result of saying, no thanks God, I got this. And, and guys, when I say that too, okay, we're going to see this a lot as we walk through this morning. We don't verbally, like I don't actually think we, for the most part, say with our mouths and outwardly think, no thanks God, I got this. But the reality is we do that, right? Subtly, we, we, we eventually grow and say, I got this, God. I don't need you. I don't need your rule and oversight. For some, if you've never placed your, your faith in Jesus, you've never trusted him, I think even unknowingly, that's our disposition. That's the way we go through life is saying, I'm going to be God. I'm going to be in control. I'm going to center my life around something else. I've got this all under control. And then on the flip side, um, after placing our faith in Jesus, that's, we find ourselves still doing that, still saying we forget. And we say, no, I got this, God. And so that's where the people of Israel find themselves here under the rule of the Midianites and all the people from the east. And they're under terrible persecution. Okay, Just to be clear, it gets into um, they're under economic persecution. They're um, finding themselves um, every time they would plant their crops, every time they would try to try to make a make a buck, right? try to get themselves out of this place of oppression these people would come in and would oppress them and enslave them. We saw last week another very serious reality of sin, sexual oppression, um, sexual slavery. And, um, and so now in this cycle, there's economic oppression. And these people are suffering under the hands of these people. And they're wondering, what is going to get us out of this? And then in verse 7, 
The people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites. And the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And so this isn't Gideon, okay, just yet. This is an unnamed prophet. And as has been the theme throughout, God is the hero. God is the deliverer. God hears the cries of his people and God steps in and rescues his people. And in this time, though, he doesn't send a deliverer just yet. Okay, the people cry out, God, we need help. And he sends an unnamed prophet to preach a sermon. Because sermons are good, right? Amen. So God sends an unnamed prophet to preach a sermon to the people and to remind them, remember who you're talking to. Remember God. You've forgotten God. Because where the people are coming from, and again, we'll see this theme played out, is they're like, my circumstances are terrible. I want whatever's going to get me out of these bad circumstances. Oh yeah, God, help me right now in these circumstances. And so God sends a prophet to remind them, remember I am God. Remember my might and my power. Remember who I am. Remember my character and my authority. And he reminds them specifically by saying, remember Egypt? Remember when God delivered his people out of Egypt? And these people had forgotten. They probably intellectually knew, but their lives weren't being shaped by remembering the character and the power of God. And guys, that happens to us consistently. Uh, On the flip side, I've seen, I have the, I think it's an honor and a privilege, honestly, but it, it can be heavy as well, of hearing as I get to lead this congregation, just hearing and walking through a lot of hardship with a lot of different people. Whether it's a spouse who leaves, whether it's the loss of children, um, walking through the hardship of infertility, the loss of a job, um, struggling through identity and depression and anxiety and these things. And, and, and circumstances often continue. Okay, We don't preach some, some easy believe message here of if you put your trust in Jesus it's all going to be a cakewalk and then every time something hard happens well shame on you you must not have enough faith that is not um not the message of scripture but what it is is man sin is not the way it's supposed to be and time and time again what I've gotten to see honestly is I've met with people and just to be clear when I meet with someone for counseling I don't preach a sermon to them. We don't say, well, this is, here's a, a, again, a copy and paste verse from the Bible that says, you know, uh, God works all things together for good for those who trust in him. It's like, well, thanks a lot. How does that, like, I'm struggling here. And, And so what we do is we come, we sit alongside one another, we remember the good character of God. And what I've gotten to see time and time again from people is through the most hard, terrible circumstances, that what it looks like to remember God is that, you, is that somehow, way, walking through these things, there's a steadfastness that says, but God. I don't know how. I don't understand how God is going to use this. I don't know. But in the end, I know that God is good, that God is faithful. And there's a consistency there. On the flip side, if we're honest with ourselves, when we're, when we're forgetting God, like bad traffic or a messy house or, um, or an unfit 
soccer coach, hypothetically, has nothing to do with my kids' soccer games yesterday, or whatever it might be, just sends us unraveling. Like, the world's out of control. I, I can't, you know, God, where are you? What's going on here? And, right? But, like, we forget God, and even the most mundane realities and hardships of life will unravel us. But when God and his character is the foundation upon which our lives are built, even the most hard and difficult circumstances somehow are in his hands. And somehow we are able to continue on. So I've been encouraged as I've seen God faithfully working in and through his people here, even walking through such hard times. And yet, these people continue on and they're in this hardship. And so a sermon comes to remind the people, remember God. Remember what he did in Egypt. Remember his deliverance. Your circumstances, yes, not water. Your circumstances are terrible. But remember God. And then coming up here again, now he moves on and he does send another deliverer, uh, his hands and feet, if you will, not just to preach a sermon, but to deliver his people. And he calls them, and yet he focuses in on a man named Gideon. So let's just get to know this guy a little bit more. Pick up with me in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. Now, I'm sure I'll say Oprah as we go on here. And this isn't Oprah. Oprah's name is in the Bible. It shows up. But uh, this is not Oprah. This is um, at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So Gideon... Um, we're going to learn a ton about Gideon, okay? This week and next week, we're going to learn about Gideon. We're going to spend some time getting to know this guy. And he is confusing, okay? He is a walking paradox. And the more you dig into it, the more you think, man, this guy's got it figured out. And then you learn a little more and you, and you learn what some of the Hebrew words mean and some of these things. Like, for example, spoiler alert, next week we'll learn that Gideon's like, don't name me king. I don't want to be the king. Only God is king. Yet he has a son, and he names his son, my God is the king. So, so we'll learn a little bit, like where we think he's being humble, he's actually totally arrogant and proud and just super smart. And so here, though, where we think, um, right, this angel says, Gideon, O man of valor. But where is Gideon? He's hiding. <laughs> he's, he's beating out the wine presses. Um, he's beating out the wheat in the white wine presses in the place where no one can see him because he, he, so he's not this guy that's like, God's in control. I'm going to wear my faith out on my sleeve. I'm confident in God. He's, he's hiding right now. He's hiding out from his oppressors. And so this is important because we see the character of Gideon is not like be more like Gideon. It's more look at God working through all sorts of people. And so Gideon, this, this reveals his character, and we'll see as, as it goes on more and more, that he underestimates God. That he's not the shining, the knight in shining armor that comes, and all the other people forget God, all the other people are dumb and sinful, and then Gideon swoops in and is the hero. No, he's right there too. In fact, Gideon underestimates God, and he is afraid. He's hiding out from the Midianites. And yet, as is so often the case, God comes in and speaks into his identity. He says, hey, man of valor. And Gideon hasn't earned that 
title. Okay? He hasn't earned this, this name, and yet God says, man of valor, I want you to lead my people. I've got plans for you. I've got plans for you to deliver my people. And again, in verse 12 there we see it's an undeserved identity, and yet it's who God is saying he is. And so he says, I'm going to raise you up, and you're going to deliver my people. But what does he say in verse 13? Gideon said to him, please, sir, I love that, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So he's blaming God here. He's right. He's kind of asking it. He's showing respect. You know, please, sir. You know, like, uh, what's his name? Please, sir, may I have some more? Um, you know, some more gruel or whatever. He's, but he's, he's, he's like showing some respect, but then he's like, he kind of thro- throws a pity party here. He's like, but life is terrible. You know, like, yeah, I know you're this angel, which he doesn't know it yet. And he's like, yeah, but man, isn't life bad? And where is God anyway? Where is, where'd this God go? He's been absent. He hasn't shown up here. And he's throwing a pity party and he even blames God and he's like where is this God of which our father spoke and and again the parents didn't raise their kids passing on the gospel to their kids so likely the parents are you know saying yeah where is this God anyway and they're telling the story as if it's old fables and old wise tales and their posture and they're rising up and they're sitting down and their dinner table conversation likely was shaped by blaming God for their circumstances rather than remembering him And this is Gideon's posture. And then, all of a sudden, Gideon has like an aha moment and he wakes up, right? He's like, I'm too, I'm too weak. I'm too, I'm too sinful. Um, God has nothing. God can't do anything. And then all of a sudden in verse 22, he kind of basically gets, uh, gets his butt handed to him here a little bit. Um, Again, I warned you, this is a PG-13. So if your kids are in here, sorry, I said butt. Bottom. Gets his bottom handed to him. But it gets worse and uglier as we walk through Judges. But in verse 22, Gideon perceived that it was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So all of a sudden, Gideon remembers who he's talking to. He, he has kind of an aha moment and he remembers that he and the people he's called to lead and represent have grown complacent. They've forgotten God, and the result of that is they underestimate God. And guys, let me say, because we see this here in Gideon, and I think even more in our day, that never let the approachability of God lead to forgetting his splendor and his awe and his majesty. Right? We've seen, sure, Jesus is my homeboy, you know, God's my co-pilot or whatever. I forget the way these, some of these things go, but we just, it's really easy to, to, and let me tell you, God is approachable and God is good. And we need look no further than the cross. Now, this time that we're reading of Gideon is before the cross. Yet all the more for us, we look at the cross and we can be reminded of the approachability and the love of God. That he says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if you are here today and you're wondering, is God approachable? Is God far off? Is God distant? Let me tell you, look at the cross. He loves you enough to have sent his son for you. He's approachable. 
And yet we also see something that is bloody and brutal and ugly and shameful. Because on the cross, we also see the majesty and the power and the holiness of God. And while we love to make light of sin, and we love to dismiss it and use little cutesy phrases for sin and say, I slipped up and I messed up and, you know, guys will be guys and, you know, I'm going to sow my wild oats and all these little phrases that we use for sin. Well, God is holy. And apart from the intervention of Jesus, apart from the undeserved favor of God, Sin deserves nothing other than wrath and punishment. So never let, like Gideon, never let the approachability of God lead to complacency and lead to forgetting who he is. So that every time here, as we respond, every time we come up here and we take communion, we remember a holy God. And we take the elements that are bread and juice that reminds us of a broken body, death. And the juice reminds us of blood that is spilt, that is simultaneously, again, we talked about a walking paradox. This is a beautiful paradox. This is, this is the consequence of my sin is death. And the result of the good news of Jesus is acceptance because of the body and blood that he spilt and gave on my behalf. And so with Gideon, though, when we see, because this is before the cross, he, he jumps from one side to another, and he's still, he's tricky. He's kind of conniving. And so all of a sudden, he's like, oh my goodness, I deserve to die. And yet, God remains faithful. God remains still and patient. And he says, Don't, you're not going to die. Yes, you deserve to die. You're not going to die. And something else here in Gideon, I actually had a great conversation with a guy this week about where, kind of in the church, we tend to swing the pendulum, right, from, from one extreme to another. And we go from, you know, kind of like, um, almost kind of feels like, well, God hates you if you're good looking and tall and handsome and powerful and influential, you know, and so only, you know, kind of enter into these pity parties. And then on the flip side, we go over here and we kind of think like, God can't use you. Like, it's all about being cool. And I remember even when I was getting assessed to be a church planter, the l language was used a lot. Like, are you the guy? Are you kind of, again, on the, the flip side of that? Like, do people want to follow you? Are, you? are you a stud? And I got asked this time and time again. And I said, yes, of course I'm a stud. No, I didn't get asked, are you a stud? But like, well, you have a speech impediment. You have all these things. And, and it almost was built up like, hey, God's got this whole list of requirements that you need to fill, and he can't use you unless you meet those requirements. And let me tell you this, that extreme is answered in this. When we focus on ourselves, we're like Gideon. Because this week, Gideon is sheepish and timid. And so some of us in this room are wondering, could God ever use me? And we use our, our own timidity, our own, our, own, um, our own insecurity as an excuse. And so when we focus on ourselves, we are sheepish and, and, and we underestimate God. And there's never an excuse that God can't and won't use us. But on the flip side, when we focus on ourselves, as we'll see next week, Gideon all of a sudden gets built up and, and he starts to see, yeah, yeah, God can use me. God can use me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do all things. I, can, I don't really need God. In fact, I'm going to take some of God's glory. I'm going to give it to myself. And that's where we'll see next week. So this week, he's sheepish and insecure. Next week, he's arrogant and proud. And both are the result of looking at self rather than God. But when we understand our place, 
being used by him, that his grace is poured out on us and then his grace can work through us, we can be both humbly bold and boldly humble. We can say, but not for God. And we can understand our place as sinners, as broken, as needy, but through him, through his power, through who he's made us to be, through him working through us, we can be bold and we can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? So that's where we see Gideon has forgotten God, just like the rest of the people. And then as God calls him, he underestimates God. And then finally, he's sent now to the people of God. And God gives him a mission and says, Gideon, even though you underestimate me, even though you're sheepish, even though you're insecure, I'm still going to use you. So I have a message for you. I have a plan for you. Go. Deliver my people. And so now picking up with me in verse 25, we see God's plan through Gideon. Let me get there. Verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. And there's this whole message where basically, again, God reveals himself and is like, remember, anyone that I show myself to um, basically deserves to die. And you see all throughout the scripture that anytime God shows himself and his power, people are terrified. Even the mountain back in uh, Exodus and in Genesis, when God reveals himself to Moses, he comes down and he's shining and all the people that are too close die and the power and the majesty of God. And so God has revealed himself to Gideon and Gideon deserves to die. And God says, okay, now I'm not going to kill you. I have plans for you. Go and tear down all these altars. And Gideon's like, okay, God, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm proud. I'm going to, I'm going to, go when, when, it's, when it's nighttime and when um, nobody sees me, um, you know, just in case. Like, I know you're God and you're powerful and all, but just in case, right? Gideon is not someone to be like, yeah, be more like him. And so remember, though, here, just to get into the scene here, what God's calling him to do. He says, go tear down the altar to Baal and the Asherah that is right next to it. Guys, these are sexual altars with sexual symbols that basically the people had, had, had kind of synchronized with their surrounding society, with their surrounding community, not to live as a light in the darkness, but they've just taken on the habits. They've taken on all the false gods of their surrounding, of their surrounding community. And so the Asherah and the Baal, these are, um, I think we explained this, but just so we remember, okay, basically the way this looked in their day was actual physical altars that look like male and female anatomy, these massive, you know, phallic symbols and stuff that basically the way people thought is they thought, I'll go to the altar and I'll sacrifice something to Baal, or perhaps I'll sleep with a temple prostitute, and what this will do is this will excite the gods, Asherah and Baal, and they'll go Netflix and chill, if you know what I mean. They'll go get together. This will excite the gods, and then they will um, basically, they'll get together, and the result will be fertility. They will, they will spread their seed on the ground and on the crops and in my own life, in my own home, and um, I, we will be fertile and our, our, our crops will be fertile. And so that's what's going on here. This is the real scene here. And so he says, he says, Gideon, this stuff is despicable. 
Guys, just like you and me, my people have blended in so much with their surrounding society, they're indistinguishable. Their idols that have been built up resemble the idols of their surrounding community to all kinds of false gods. And it's ugly. So go tear them down. And Gideon's like, okay, I'm going to go tear them down at nighttime when nobody's looking. And so it continues on here, and the people wake up basically the next morning. His own dad has one, by the way. And so Gideon goes, and he tears down these altars, and he does everything God said. But it's nighttime, so everyone wakes up and is like, what the heck happened in here? Like, you know, that's just wrong. Like, that altar got torn down and all these things are, it's ugly. What happened here? And the people are angry and they're murderous. As we see, they call for blood. They find out it's Gideon and they say in verse 28, they say, um, bring Gideon here for he must die. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it was cut down and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, what has, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die. Man, he just broke down a couple, you know, odd looking idols. Like, what's the big deal? But guys, just like you and me, when the things that we center our lives around are exposed, are torn down, we're angry. We want justice. And again, it's so easy for us to sit right here, right now in 2016 and say, nobody's got a phallic, you know, 20-foot idol next to their house, right? We don't worship false gods. We don't have false idols let me read something to you from an author and a pastor, Paul Tripp, who speaks of it this way. After a trip to India, where he saw an actual 25-foot phallic you know, image built up, and these people were crying and were offering sacrifices and traveling hundreds of miles to be before this false god, and he judged them and looked down on these poor, silly, unintelligent people. And this is what he came up with. He said, my idols aren't the dark idols of formal religion. They're the subtle idols of my everyday world. They're things that claim the place in my heart that only God should have. Guys, remember, an idol is anything that you center your life around. Often a very, very good thing, but it becomes an ultimate thing. It becomes a God thing. And these are the, real, these are the idols that we worship today. And he said, worship is not something we do only in formal religious settings once a week. God designed us to be worshipers. Everything we do is the product of worship. That is an absolute statement, and I I believe it is absolutely true. Everything we do is worship in some regard. Our waking up, our lying down, our going to work, our relationships, what we wear, how we... Everything is connected to what and how we worship. And then he goes on to say, we are always giving our hearts to something, and if, it, and if it's not God, it's something God created. All of this takes place in the little moments of our lives, and for that we need moment-by-moment moment grace. Let me ask you, what are the idols that you're worshiping? What do you worship? Again, let's do the hard work right now. Let's kind of peel the, the, the layers back a little, okay? Let's be honest enough, intellectually and emotionally honest enough to recognize 
that we are living in a culture that is full of idol worship. We center our lives around all sorts of things that are not God. Often good things. Okay, a good way for you to figure out um, what idol worship looks like to you is this. Ask yourself this question right now. If blank were taken away from me, I would be devastated. If fill in the blank was taken away from me, I would be ruined. What, what would it look like? I suspect some significant things in our life we're honest about. And this doesn't mean you don't care about them, okay? This isn't like just like you kind of make up things and you don't care if something, no, but devastated, ended. God, don't ever take X, Y, or Z away because then I don't think you would be real. I don't think I could ever follow a God who, fill in the blank. If it, whatever that is, that means then that God is not God, but whatever that is, is God. And we live in a world where we worship all kind of functional, practical saviors other than God. Things that we give our lives to, things that we give our heart to. And we are so vulnerable in Christianity, right here in this room, in evangelical Christianity, we are so vulnerable to idol worship that we even use churchy things, Christian-y things to justify, right? Like whatever it is, we say, well, I'm being a good steward, so I don't give X, Y, or Z. I, don't, I, I withhold this from God because, hey, God's entrusted this to me and I'm being a good steward of it. Or, we, or we, we put these iron gates around our families and these things and we, and we worship our family. Is family good? Absolutely, 100%. But our family stops being a gift from God that's used for his glory, our joy, and the good of others. And we replace God with our family and we say, well, I'm protecting. I'm being a good steward. I'm, you know, whatever it is, I'm loving. And those things are good and great, but again, the way we approach it can be idolatrous. Well, surely I don't, I have, a, I have a not of this world sticker on my car. Surely I'm not materialistic. Well, what happens when the car on which that sticker is taken away? Man, I, I have tattoos on my arms. I have tattoos of scripture on my body. Of course I worship God. Well, what happens when that arm is no longer useful? Which I actually do actually have a tattoo of scripture on my arm. And so as I was preparing this, I was thinking like, Clearly, I'm okay. Well, yeah, what if I, I love exercise? I love being able-bodied. Some of you say you're like five feet tall. You're not able-bodied, but I am. Um, but honestly, like we, we do all these things and we replace God with something else. And we have got to be real and honest here and consider what kind of idols do I worship today? Let me tell you, subtle idolatry is still idolatry. And I think way more than the people in this time, we live in a world that is absolutely full of subtle idolatry. It is so easy to synchronize. It is so, because remember guys, these people called out to God. These people had worship services where they held their hands up, where they came up and took communion once a week. They didn't do all this, but, you know, metaphorically speaking, they, they walked through the religious rituals that you and I do where they, it was easy to say, 
Of course I don't worship idols. We've called out to God. We've asked God to come and save us. We've heard a sermon, remember? We remember Egypt. We remember these things. But I'm going to keep this little, you know, 20-foot phallic symbol next to my house just in case. And how much more dangerous are we today? Because we don't have these giant, ugly idols. They're smaller. We can drive them. We can swipe them. What kind of idols do we worship today where we replace or add to God? God will not share his glory. Guys, God loves you too much to let you center your life around anything other than himself. Sit in that for a moment. We are not going to come here at church. We're not going to play the game. We cannot come and lend ourselves to idol worship where we sit here and we convince ourselves, I'm good. I come on Sunday. I take communion. And go on throughout our week worshiping every other idol other than the God of creation who loves you and created you, who gave you identity and purpose, who sent his son to call you back to relationship with him so that all of life can be lived under his good character, his good power. And then lastly, as we prepare to close, just these last four verses um, I don't actually need to spend a whole lot of time there. This is probably looking at this where it's like, oh, of course, we're going to spend the whole time talking about Gideon and his fleeces. And God. The point here, just to be very clear, is that Gideon is testing God, and it's not a good thing. Everything he's seen about God's power, his authority, his goodness, everything he's remembered, everything he's heard, he's heard is not enough. And so he's like, well, God, let, just to make sure, even though I saw an angel, I should have died but, you know, you spared me all these things. I just don't know. I'm still a little sheepish and timid. I'm still focusing on me rather than you. So, God, here's the deal. Okay, I got an exchange for you. I'm going to hang up a fleece. And in this fleece, let me just pick, pick it up so I don't forget which one here. He says, um, if, if you're really who you say you are and you're really going to do what you said you're going to do, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on the ground all around, then, then I'll know. So he does that, right? He puts out a fleece, and it's, it's wet, right? He's able to dump it out. But it's, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed here because um, it could actually happen through natural means that there could be rain, something could happen, and this fleece, right, which is thick, is still wet, and then the ground, right, the sun comes and shines on it, and the ground dries up more quickly than the fleece, and so he comes out, and he's like, oh, okay, 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 cool, cool, right? The, the fleece is wet, the ground is dry. Okay, God, I'll give you that one, my bad. Now flip it, okay? The ground is all wet, but the fleece is dry. And sure enough, God entertains this and he does the same thing and it happens, which again, through natural means, that could have happened. But Gideon finally is out of tricks to try to trick God and he's like, okay, God, I'll, I'll do what you said I'll do. So this whole passage, this whole section, this whole chapter ends with this. There's still dew on the ground. God is still God. And his people as we see them, like you and me, if left to themselves, are still faithless are still fickle, 
even Gideon. He's not the hero. He's used of God. So guys, hanging out a fleece, not a good thing. We should try to get that out of our vernacular. If you've ever used that phrase, it's okay. I'm sure I have. But, but like, it's not a good thing to test God. It's not a good thing to continually forget him, to continually underestimate him, to continually replace him, and to continually test him. But the good news time and time again that we see most clearly at the cross is that God is patient. That even when untrusting, fickle people test him time and time again, he meets us where we are. And yet Gideon's not the hero, Gideon's not the deliverer. But he's pointing toward a perfect deliverer who we respond to every week, who we sing songs to worship and we look at a cross that reminds us that Jesus came and remembered what he was sent for rather than forgetting. He never underestimated the power of God but knew that even at the point of death, God would win by raising him from the dead, who never ever replaced God the Father with his own authority, his own agenda, his own will, but stayed true and faithful even to the point of death on the cross, even the, pers- even the point of being forsaken by his heavenly Father. And he never put God to the test, and yet he remained faithful and present. And he comes and he meets us where we are. So guys, as we close here today, The simple fact is that we are on that toilet bowl cycle just like the people of Israel. Tempted by idols surrounding us. Tempted to forget, replace, underestimate, and test God. But because of Jesus, because of his perfect finished work, and because of God the Holy Spirit sent to fill and empower God's people, it's possible that that cycle not continue. Wouldn't it be easier Wouldn't it be better to live life constantly looking to God that he is true and he is trustworthy and then continuing and to live a life in response to him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that um, through our time in your word we, we see perhaps some of our childhood heroes are exposed here and are blown up. Lord, I don't want to be so arrogant to look down and say, how could Gideon, silly Gideon, because Lord... Apart from you, we are all Gideon and Samson and Delilah. Lord, we are all sinful and undeserving. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. Lord, our natural disposition is to choose not God. It's to live in the cycle, to call out for help. But then even still, even when we call out to add something else other than you and your work to give us hope and meaning and purpose. And yet it took you breaking into our cycle, breaking into our sin, breaking into our brokenness, Lord, to deliver us and to give a hope that the cycle has been put to an end when you, Lord Jesus, hung on the cross and you said, it is finished. It is finished. Come to me, all you who are weak and weary, laden and tired and sick of trusting in yourself. Look to God who's true and trustworthy and faithful to forgive. So, Lord, I pray that in our time of response now, you will lead us, Lord, to comfort, to conviction, or to repentance and to worship, and to faith in you, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.